0: Welcome into Words with Wallace. I am your host, Nick Wallace. Is it just me or is that intro music hitting Diffy today? Uh, We're coming at you. It is Monday, uh, Monday evening, March 27th. Actually recording this while some of the games are currently going on. Um, We have a really exciting episode for you today. So uh, we're going to be focused on what I like to call the NBA pressure pyramid. I know, super creative, right? Uh, we love alliteration here on the podcast, and, and what this really means is we're going to be focusing on, um, you know, we're about two weeks away from the end of the regular season here and the start of the NBA playoffs, uh, and I feel like it's a really good time to look at and, and analyze, you know, what NBA teams actually have the most pressure on them. Heading into the playoffs. So, this is really crunch time. I've been saying that for weeks, but now I really mean it. Um, So, it's going to be fun to really focus on some of the narrative, some of the history with these, you know, contending teams and and maybe, maybe not contending teams. We'll see. Uh, And really focus on everything, you know, why the end of this regular season and, and playoffs is so important for these teams and what are the top five NBA teams with the most pressure on them. Uh, again, heading into the NBA playoffs, but uh, before we get into that, I just wanted to take a quick look around the NBA. We had a you know a pretty fun week of basketball. I think you know it was highlighted by the return of of many star players. You know the return of LeBron James, Carl Anthony Towns, John ja Morant. Um, you know lesser name players, Rob Williams and Gary Payton II. All those guys coming back from uh, extended absences, we'll say for for different reasons. Not all injury based, uh, as we know with John ja Morant. Uh, But I couldn't help but identify a bit of a trend that we're setting with the pod. It's a bit concerning, right? So, you know, we had RJ on earlier in the month. And, you know, within a week of that podcast being posted, uh, we focused on the Boston Celtics, of course, in that podcast, the Celtics Vibe Check. Uh, And within a week of that podcast being posted, um, the Celtics suffered probably their worst loss of the season to the last place and and worst record in the entire league, uh, Houston Rockets. Uh, And it really was kind of a loss that came out of nowhere. And, and, you know, it was really panic inducing for a lot of Celtics fans out there. And if you thought that was bad, well, you know, last week, as you probably saw, we had Ian uh, Kayanja of A to Z Sports on to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. We did a a Dallas deep dive. Definitely encourage you to check out that episode if you haven't already. Uh, And that was a lot of fun where we talked at length about the Mavericks. But even though we dedicated a full episode to them last week, I need to talk about them because they had. You know, one of the worst weeks in, in franchise history, I would argue. Like, I know that that sounds dramatic, but I, I truly mean it. Um, they went on, as soon as that podcast was posted, their next four games, um, they l- lost them all. Uh, one was to Golden State. Another was to Memphis. And the last two were to the Charlotte Hornets, uh, a roughly, what, like like 20 or 15-win or team that's at, you know, last place or second-to-last place in the Eastern Conference Um, And not only that, the first game that they lost to Charlotte, Charlotte was missing their three leading scorers, arguably their three best players in LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Kelly Oubre. Uh, Maybe not three best players, Hayward's pretty good too, but certainly their three leading scorers, and the Hornets were on a second night of a back-to-back, and the game was in Dallas. And the Mavericks really, really need to win. I think that's the part that can't be overstated. The Mavericks are at full health. The Hornets are banged up as shit, playing in Dallas on the second night of a back-to-back, and Dallas drops that game. And just to remind you, you know, the Mavericks are, if if the season started, or the playoffs started today, excuse me, Dallas would be an 11 seed. Dallas would not even be in the play-in game. And of course, as I might remind you, like the four seed in the Western Conference all the way down to the 12, it's still only separated by like three and a half games. So all these games are really, really important, especially for the Mavericks. So this is a really bad loss. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on Dallas, but I I had to talk about it because, you know, as I mentioned with Ian, the primary focus, you know, for this Mavericks team should be keeping Luka Luka Doncic, excuse me, happy at all times. And for them to drop even that first game to Charlotte, Uh, He actually had a quote um, after that first Charlotte game, and I want to read to you guys real quick. Uh, Again, this is Luka Doncic. Sometimes I don't feel it's me. I'm just being out there. I used to really have fun smiling on the court, but it's just been so frustrating for a lot of reasons, not just basketball. Uh, Luka went on to elaborate that you know he was dealing with some off-the-court stuff, which we certainly wish him the best with. He he didn't elaborate on that much. It seemed like it might be some family-based issues, but that doesn't sound like a happy superstar to me, right? I think that alone raises an area of concern. and I don't want to spoil too much of what I talked about with Ian, but he was really, really low on Jason Kidd and, and his outlook as a head, head coach in this league and you know if he's even fit to be that. And I don't think that there's more of a red coaching fl- or a coaching red flag than what we saw because Dallas had the rare opportunity to bounce back after that loss to short their first loss to Charlotte, right. You know, the next game on their schedule is a game in Charlotte. So, you know, the Hornets are home. They, they got packed Terry Rozier for what that's worth. And they lost again. This game was slightly closer. But again, the Mavericks had full strength. The fact that the Mavericks had this opportunity to bounce back and, and play Charlotte a couple games later, like, I feel like above all else, that falls on your head coach, right? If you're the head coach of that team and you don't have the ability to get your guys up for a revenge game against a bottom barrel team, when you are at full strength, I don't know, man. I don't see how, how Jason Kidd makes it through um, if things continue like this for Dallas uh, because it is really that bad. And I think the, the most interesting wrinkle about all this, and, and again, we'll put a bow on this Dallas situation in a second, they still have a, a basically one piece left of the Christoph's Porzingis trade from a couple years back for them trading for Christoph's Porzingis. They acquired him from the New York Knicks. And there's a first-round pick that still needs to be paid out to the New York Knicks. But the issue with that is it's actually top 10 protected. Meaning if the Mavericks land a top 10 pick in the NBA draft for this season, the Mavericks actually get to keep that pick. And so I guess... The only thing I would say is that there is some sort of silver lining for Dallas where if they actually continue to bottom out and that pick ends up being and now there's a lottery system and, and we, you know, mostly understand that I would imagine. So, you know, whether they make the playoffs or, or excuse me, if they miss the playoffs, there's not even a chance that um, there's a chance that that pick still might not convey. But I guess like that is a silver lining for the Mavericks is that you might be able to take away a top 10 overall pick that you weren't expecting to have this season because I would imagine most people would have just assumed that pick was going to New York like oh there's no chance that the Mavericks land in the top 10 for this current year's draft and unless there's some crazy injury to Luca but he's been relatively healthy and it really is that bad for Dallas now. If you're a Mavs fan, I, you still obviously want them to turn this thing around and, and win out the rest of their games. I don't even think that they can make it up to the sixth seed at this point. They'd have to be, you know, overjoyed with even just a play-in appearance at this point. And again, if you're, I actually did see some stuff circulating around like, oh, if you're the Mavericks, do you just, you know, kind of continue on this route? Do you bottom out? Um, do you focus on trying to acquire that top 10 draft pick? Um You don't. You don't do that. Because, again, like I've been saying, Luca's already pretty unhappy. I can't imagine the embarrassment that a guy that competitive would be faced with if they were to not even make a a play-in tournament. So, again, just being a top 10 seed in a 15-team conference, if they can't be in the top two-thirds of their conference, the embarrassment that's going to mean for Luca is immense. And on top of that, you know, as much as it sucks, like, this really isn't Kyrie's fault. Like he's been playing like pretty well. Like again, I don't like the deal, and um, I just don't feel like you know this necessarily falls on the shoulders of his play. However, you know you still need to actually really keep that guy happy as well because you can't afford to have him screw you over and leave in the offseason. So uh, things are really bad in Dallas. They are infinitely worse than where we were even a week ago. Um, Just to be totally transparent, they did already, I'm recording this after their game to the Pacers that was again on the 27th here today. They did beat the Pacers for what that's worth. So again, another bottom barrel team that is not even in the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference set. Hey, at least they were able to rebound a little bit against that. Um, Luca actually threw probably the best pass (laughs) I've ever seen in my entire life. So let's move on to, now that that's out of the way, now that we got a quick uh, victory lap on, on Dallas out of the way, uh, let's move on to our NBA pressure pyramid. So uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of actually ranking the top five teams, I wanted to kind of include a category of, of the non-contenders with a lot of pressure on them. And I, I feel like the two, one of the two teams that jumped out that I, I'd be remiss to not mention is the Minnesota Timberwolves. So... Um, and really, this one's simple. I'll try to keep this brief. It, as we all know, it comes down to the fact that the Timberwolves mortgaged their entire future and traded uh, roughly a billion draft picks for Rudy Gobert in in this past offseason. Um, and essentially, that's left them at, at a point where you know they're fighting, they're in that play-in contention race. Um, the good news for them is that they did just get Karl-Anthony Towns back, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And they're 2-0 with Karl-Anthony Towns, which is pretty exciting. I'm actually excited to, to jump off this uh, podcast in a little bit because I want to watch them uh, play the Sacramento Kings tonight, which should be a really fun game. But, you know, again, there's just so much pressure in them that they made the decision that, you know, they kind of went all in, if you will. They, they traded away so many draft picks. They traded away a few young players in um, Walker Kessler, who they just drafted, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who I oh, again has already bounced around a couple times and ended up on the Lakers. Um, those guys are, are really young and really talented, and again, I, I think that if they could just undo that trade and, and just get back Walker Kessler on its own, I think Minnesota would do that. Um, but again, there's a lot of pressure on them to be competitive for how much they paid in the offseason, so um, they need to make the play the make the playoffs. That is like their you know, pressure barometer, if you will, and that's something that I'll come back to. Like, What is the bare minimum for this team to meet their expectations and avoid you know, the disaster coming their way if they don't live up to this, this pressure that's been put upon them? Um, And I think for them, for the Timberwolves, it's it's very simple. They need to make the playoffs. You know, they're probably not going to make it up to that. I guess they could make it up to the sixth seed looking at the standings now. Um, But I do think that they will likely end up in the play-in game. And if they do, they need to make sure they win at least one of those play-in games to secure a spot in the playoffs. The next team that I wanted to just kind of highlight for a quick second is the Toronto Raptors because... You know, they're a team that was kind of at a crossroads. We talked about them, you know, obviously last time on the tier ranking pod, which was about a month ago now. Um, But essentially, the Raptors were, you know, have been roughly a 500 team all year. They had, you know, a little bit higher expectations before this past season. Um, And they've fallen short of virtually all of those, you know, expectations. And so they had an opportunity at the trade deadline to evaluate where their team was at and decide which direction that they wanted to go. Um, you know, OG Ananobi, a name we've mentioned here on the pod before, was thrown into all sorts of different trade rumors, mainly just because he's an awesome asset. He's 25 years old. He's a perfect 3 and D option. He's a really versatile defender. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet was, was featured um, as a, a trade target for a couple teams that were point guard needy as well. And, you know, Toronto essentially made the decision to not make a move. They decided to not only... Actually, I shouldn't say that. They made the decision to, to not only stand pat, but they actually wanted to reinforce, you know, their chances of competing this year. Now, again, I don't think Toronto wanted to, you know, thought that they were going to win the championship after their trade deadline. But they did make a competitive move. And that move uh, was trading with the San Antonio Spurs for Jakob uh Pertl, excuse me. Weird name, I know. Um, and, and to give up in that trade, like, you know, it wasn't like they... Paid a ton for Jakob Pertl, but they gave up a decent amount. I mean, they traded Ken Birch, who was a backup center for them, and they traded away a first round pick in two seconds for Jakob Pertl. And so, you know, and give to their credit, he's been pretty great for the Raptors. Uh, you know, since acquiring him in that deal, they've been 11 and 8, which is, you know, slightly better than what they were previously. You know, pertl has been fantastic. He's really been a missing piece if you watch the team at all. They were really short on, on traditional big men, and he's unlocked a lot of things for them. You know, he's averaging 15 and 10. So I like the deal on the surface, but I just don't think it's resulted in enough, you know, wins for them. You know, they're currently sitting at the nine seed in the Eastern Conference. And I think, you know, their, you know, bottom line, what they need to hit is, again, just like the Timberwolves, they need to make the playoffs. They're they're currently sitting at the nine seeds. They, you know, if the season ended today, they would essentially have to win two different play-in games just to make the actual playoffs. Um, And I think that they need to get that done. And, you know, that's easier said than done, especially in the East, like you're matched up with, you know, Miami's in that range, you know, Atlanta's in that range, you know, Chicago has been really frisky of late and they're in that range. But I do think that, you know, if you're the Raptors and you have a a solid roster, you have Fred VanVleet, you have OG Ananobi, you have Pascal Siakam, you know, you have Jakob Pertl. And you have allegedly a pretty good coach in Nick Nurse that you know is really just focused on you know he's not really developing a bunch of guys off the bench he's just focused on playing his starters you know 35 minutes a game I expect them to come out of the you know not come out of the East but coming out of the play come out of the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference and so uh, I think that they have a, a more pressure on them than you might think so I want to get into an honorable mention before we get into the top five because this was really tough for me I think it came down to to six teams that had. You know, jumped out by facing more pressure than the rest of the group, so it was it was kind of tough to de- deciding where I wanted to make the cut. But so this is going to be an honorable mention outside of the actual pyramid itself, and this is going to be uh, none o- none other than the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and I think what's so funny about the Grizzlies is it's like I think a lot of this pressure is self induced, and we'll get into that in a second. Let's quickly take a look at where the Grizzlies are at. Um, you know, Job ja just came back; he he looks great. You know, to, to nobody's surprise, you know, he physically he's the same guy. He didn't suffer an injury. It was Um, obviously some mental health stuff that he was going through and we're happy to have him back. Um, So of course he looks fine. You know, that being said, they, they surpassed Sacramento. Sacramento's been on a bit of a slide recently and Sacramento had the, the two seed for a little bit there. Well, now it's Memphis again. And and just to kind of look at where they've been, right? I mean, they jumped on the scene, you know, as more of a competitive team about two years ago Um, that year, uh, that season, they ended up losing to Utah in the first round of the playoffs um, which was reasonable. I think that that season overall was a success. Taking a closer look at, at last year, right? Like, you know, again, they, they won in the first round against Minnesota, but I think that was definitely a 2-7 matchup that could have gone either way. If you watched that series at all, you know that, you know, Minnesota was basically up by double digits in virtually every game in that series. And I, I felt like just by watching that series, it was more of, you know, Minnesota finding ways to lose rather than Memphis finding ways to win. And so, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. But they end up losing to Golden State in six games. And, you know, that's a team that was the best team in all of basketball last season. So there's really no shame in that. But this season in particular, I think, you know, we've touched on it a little bit. But earlier in the season, John Morant had, you know, an interview with Taylor Rooks where he, you know, he said, and I quote, I'm fine in the West, you know, basically suggesting that the only team in the entire league that he was worried about was the Celtics. You know, basically, you know, they're mentally penciling themselves in for a finals appearance and that got overplayed quite a bit. Um, And then, of course, I don't think Jot helped his case by being caught up in some of the controversy that he's been involved with recently that I don't want to get into too much. But in general, I just feel like they have done a really great job at putting a target on their back this season. Like they went to more of like, you know, on the national level, a young, likable, exciting team. And they're still, you know, an exciting team. They're still very fun to watch. But you know throughout everything they've been involved with and all the shit that Dylan Brooks gets into they've definitely put a target on their back teams don't take them lightly like they did last season and so you know for them i think that they still have a little bit of a grace period because they are so young and so many people still do like ja you know their bottom line is they better win one round they better win one round or else it's going to get ugly and i do think that they are an upset alert team depending on you know if golden state ends up in that 7 seed if the clippers end up in that 7 seed and Uh, you know, matchup with Memphis in the first round. It, you know, I don't know if if I would take Memphis in that matchup, but, you know, Grizzlies fans, they better hope that they win one game out there. So, or one round out there, rather. Moving on to the base of the pyramid. And at my number five spot for, you know, top five, again, most pressure on them heading into the end of this season, um, I have the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, when I originally got the idea of kind of doing this segment I was picturing the Clippers to be pretty high on this list because it, it, it certainly was feeling like a now or never season. Um, and the unfortunate news, recent news for the Clippers, anyway, is that you know Paul George suffered a knee injury earlier this week. You know he's likely to be out two to three weeks, which would put him you know at best case scenario you know around the first round of the playoffs. So we'll see. You know that it, it certainly looked a lot worse than a two to three week injury. I'm certainly no doctor, but it was it was pretty gnarly to watch. Um, you know that being said. It's hard to give them another injury pass because I wanted to, again, I think the pressure that stems with these teams, you you have to look at their last couple years of playoff success and kind of analyze where they are. So just as a reminder of what the Clippers have looked like the past couple years, you know, the 2019 offseason is where they made their big splash, right? They, you know, they traded or they signed Kyrie or signed Kyrie. They signed Kawhi Leonard and they traded for Paul George. Um, So, you know, after that point, they, you know, with this roughly current roster construction is kind of the period I want to evaluate them on. We have a decent sample size here. So the first season that they had both of those guys was the bubble season. They were, you know, the two seed that season, again, the 2020 season, the bubble season. Uh, they were a three seed, and they lost to the Nuggets in seven games and kind of under the radar blew a 3-1 lead. Like, I know that that was talked about a little bit at the time, but, you know, it was the bubble, so people kind of gave them a break for that. So, whatever, but they were healthy. That's the important thing, and they ended up blowing, a, you know, a, a series to Denver in seven games. Uh, the following season, the 2021 20, season, um, you know, they were the four seed. They lost to the Suns in the Western Conference Final. Again, they kind of got a pass for that because Kawhi you know, tore his ACL in round two against the Jazz and you know the Clippers were short-staffed and they were facing a really good Phoenix team that obviously ended up making it to the finals um, and nearly winning the whole thing. So, you know, something to keep in mind. The next season, um, which was what? That was last season. Um, they were the eighth seed. Um, they had no Kawhi virtually all season. Paul George only played in 31 games and they lost two consecutive play-in games and didn't even make the overall playoffs. So again, in the play in tournament, not in the playoffs. So where does that leave us now? So obviously you have a pretty spotty record here where again, just to summarize, they made it to what uh, round two, then they lost to the Suns in the Western conference finals. um, And then they didn't even make the playoffs last year. And I feel like now is really where the, the pressure is starting to build. Because what I didn't really talk about is that again, before all of those seasons that I just mentioned, they were, you know, very highly ranked, you know, Widely considered across the NBA as contenders. And, you know, we certainly haven't seen them get all that close. Again, most of that comes down to injury, but I feel like this is where, you know, the patience is starting to wear thin. You know, if you're Steve Ballmer, you know, owner of the Clippers, if you're, you know, a true Clippers fan, I know there's not that many of them out there. I feel like what's really kind of building the pressure is the Paul George trade, right? Like, you know, that's a deal that, you know, I don't. In the moment, you don't really give them much slack for because it was a deal that, again, Kawhi wanted to play with Paul George, and they felt like it was a deal that they had to do in order to get, you know, sign Kawhi, who, again, this was Kawhi coming off a title. He was at the peak of his powers, and, you know, it's a deal that you you do. You pay over the moon, and this was, like, the first major, like, holy crap, like, superstar trade that we saw where they basically traded for, you know, they traded away Shea Gilgis-Alexander and a shitload of first-round picks, and they brought back Paul George. Now it's starting to get really bad uh, in terms of how that trade looks because again, Paul George's health record has been spotty and it's continued that way this year. But you know, Shea's made the leap. You know, I've talked about I talked about Shea a little bit last week, but you know, the guy's averaging over 30 points per game. He's you know looking at likely a first or second team All NBA season. Um, you know, if not at the very, he'll be on an All NBA team. That much is for sure. And one of those first round picks turned into Jalen Williams, uh, you know, aka J Dub. Uh, I know there's two Jalen Williams in, in the Thunder, but the better Jalen Williams that's currently second in Rookie of the Year race, and on top of that, you know they also got Terrence Mann in that deal. There's still, what, three first-round picks left to be paid out in that deal and a first-round pick swap? So again, Paul George for Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jalen Williams, Terrence Mann, three more first-round picks and a pick swap left. Yikes if they don't end up at least making it to an NBA finals at some point with the current construction of this team this is it's already really bad but it's it's going to be it's just going to really solidify how much of a joke and how much of a little brother that the clippers are because they truly have had a talented team the past couple years and for them to not get it done uh, that's really bad and so again i dropped them down to number 5 on this list i have them a lot higher but now with the paul george injury it's like are they going to get a pass again i don't know but I still think that with how this team is constructed, they would be should be their bottom line is they need to beat anybody in the Western Conference that's not Denver or Phoenix is kind of where I like to you know put the, the bottom line for the Clippers. Moving on to the number four team on this list, uh, a team near and dear to my heart. This is where I put in the Boston Celtics, and so um, let me just take a, a quick look at at where we're at, um, you know, legacy wise. Fun, this is like a fun, you know, little brag for Celtics fans. We've only missed the playoffs one time since winning the title uh, in 2008. Uh, That's just a kind of a fun fact. So, we've certainly had a lot of success. You know, we we haven't got over the hump. We haven't won the finals, obviously, since 2008. Um, But we have had a lot of playoff success, and, you know, you can still fall back on the fact that, you know, both of our superstars are relatively young and, you know, we're really well coached, and we have a rookie, or not well coached, we have a rookie head coach, anyways. Um, and so there's a lot of time for this team to develop and yada, yada, yada. I still think that there's the, you know, they are, are number four on this list. I still think there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, and I think a lot of that pressure, you know, we've you know, we've seen Celtics, you know, make a lot of national headlines this week or certainly in NBA media circles because there's been a lot of talk around Jalen Brown. Um, If you guys didn't see, Jalen Brown did a little bit of press this week, or at least there were a couple stories about Jalen Brown that came out. Um, One of them was written by Sopan Depp. I hope I'm getting that name right with the New York Times. Uh, I think the highlight of that piece for Celtics fans is that, or the low light rather, is that Jalen, you know, sort of condemned the Boston fans and saying there was a a, a nasty subsection of Boston fans um, that he didn't appreciate among some other things, which I think, Um, It's fair criticism. And I think that, you know, while that's true, you could also say that about nearly every other NBA fan base, but, you know, understood. We hear you, Jalen. And then uh, Logan Murdoch of The Ringer uh, posted a a very long piece kind of looking at, you know, Jalen Brown's career over the past couple years and really his entire career since being in the NBA um, and highlighted, you know, I I think the low light of that piece in particular was, you know, how the Celtics handled this past offseason and, you know, essentially his name being floated in, in Kevin Durant trade rumors. And those rumors were really never refuted by the organization, by the Celtics organization, as far as I know. And so I think that, you know, there was some you know, aggregation of those pieces that came out that would suggest that Jalen Brown isn't help happy with the Celtics. And there's tension there and this and that. Um, you know, I read both of those pieces. I looked through them. I think both of the pieces were pretty great and worth a read if you're a Celtics fan. That being said, my level of concern with Jalen Brown is probably like a three out of 10. Like, I don't think that those pieces really told me anything, I wouldn't guess. I think the big takeaway is just that like, yeah, you're right. The Celtics probably mishandled that Durant situation and they probably could have came out and refuted some claims or, and even if, if that was a lie, they could have at least done some positive PR to do that. But I think that came down to the front office having, you know, more fires to put out, um, dealing with the Ime Udoka situation, the the head coaching situation, um, you know, rather than being worried about Jalen Brown's feelings and all that, which, you know, you can say that's an excuse and whatever, but I think that was kind of what they were dealing with at that time. So. You know, that being said, you know, let's let's kind of zoom back in on this season, right? You know, the Celtics have the two seed. They've kind of steadied the ship a little bit. They had a rocky, you know, early March, as we kind of talked about. But they've had some, you know, good wins lately, mostly against easy teams. I think the most notable win they've had was against Sacramento, which was a really great ro- road win for them. But, you know, the part about Jalen Brown that I am concerned with is, you know, the fact that, you know, all these negative media headlines or combined with the fact that his con- contract situation is a little rocky. Uh, you know, he's under contract for obviously this season and then next season. But as currently constructed, he would be an unrestricted free agent after next next season. And from what I've been you know, told and what I've heard anyway, rather, uh, is that he's really unlikely to sign an extension before that. Basically because, you know it's not maximizing his income because we got him on a really you know, cheap contract for how talented of a player he is. Like, he's clearly a max contract player. I don't think there's many people debating that. Um, but essentially, if he were to sign an extension, it would be based off of you know, the, the current contract we have him on, which is obviously not max money. And so you, know, you could argue that you know, he does, just wants to maximize his income, which is very fair, or you could say he's not going to sign an extension because of all the things that came out in those pieces that we just talked about. You know, I'm sitting here just hoping, like, praying to God he makes an All-NBA team, which I haven't really taken a super close look at, but I'm sure he has a chance at doing this season. Um, And I think if he makes an All-NBA team either this season or next season, that would make him eligible for a Supermax extension, which the Celtics would be idiots not to do. He's clearly worth that money. Um, and so I think that, you know, that would make it so that this, the ball is kind of back in the Celtics court where, you know, he would really have to be unhappy here to turn down Supermax money. I, I cannot imagine he would ever do that, and so hopefully him making an all-NBA team can kind of right the ship on that, um, so that's that's my feelings on the Jalen piece, but, you know, I, I think my overall outlook on the team hasn't changed. It's certainly been reassuring the past couple weeks, like we said, getting Rob back, um, steadying the ship a little bit. Um, I feel like, the same spot as I did during the tier rankings I think any a loss to any team that is not the Milwaukee Bucks is a total disappointment of the season hopefully the Celtics stay at the two seed so they can at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals before they see the Bucks and hopefully the standings stay that way I think that they will um, and you know if they lose to the Bucks and you lose to Giannis I mean I can sleep easy as a Celtics fan depending on how it plays out um, but I do think that the team as a whole you know could go the distance I think they're you know up there as my pick or maybe, you know, secondary choice to win the whole thing behind Milwaukee. Um, I think they're that good of a team. And so hopefully they meet those expectations and, and don't lose to a team like Philadelphia or somebody else in the Eastern Conference. Moving on to our number three team on the list. This is where I had the Phoenix Suns. Now we've obviously talked about it a bit on this podcast, how the Phoenix Suns, you know, essentially stole the trade deadline in terms of media attention and whatnot by trading away, uh, McCall Bridges and Cam Johnson and basically a crap load of picks for Kevin Durant. Um, and that certainly puts them, you know, I would say, you know, saved any chance that they had this season of, of being competitive. But the issue is that, you know, Kevin Durant got hurt again. He's only played a handful of games for the Suns and um, they really expect him back relatively soon, hopefully with a few games left in the regular season to get some continuity heading into the playoffs. But, you know, I think that this is, you know, the Suns have an older team. You know, that's no secret that they have a really bad health bet team. Uh, again, that's no secret. Uh, but I do think that there's still a lot of pressure for them to compete this season and at least make it to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, you know, looking back on them the past couple of years, you know, they made their big splash and, and their big leap from being a pretty mediocre team with really just Devin Booker and some young players um, in the 2020 offseason where they traded for Chris Paul. They acquired Chris Paul from Oklahoma City. Um, And in that first season, you know, they had really successful. They were dominant during the regular season um, and ultimately lost to the Bucs in the finals. Um, I don't think there's much shame in that. I think the better team won that year. You know, I do think the finals could have gone either way, but I don't think you're too upset with losing to the Bucs in the NBA finals where, you know, I don't even remember their last finals appearance before that. So that was certainly a great way to jump upon the scene, you know. Last year, I think, is where things certainly took a turn for the worst. You know, if you are kind of zooming out, you'd be like, oh, well, they lost in the Western Conference Finals. That's not that bad. Well, you have to remember that they lost in, you know, basically one of the worst playoff meltdowns I've ever seen. You know, they lost to certainly, I would argue, an inferior Mavs team. Um, And they did it in really embarrassing fashion. You know, the Game 7 was in Phoenix. Um, You know, they were, you know, like I said, obviously they have the home court advantage. Um, And they totally melted down in that game seven. It was a complete blowout, despite it being a a pretty competitive series before that. Um, It was a total blowout where I think Luka outscored the Suns in the first half of that game seven. Like he outscored the entire Suns team um, himself in the first half. And I think it ended up being like a 30 or 40 point game. Like that's how bad it was. It was terrible. And that's a really, really scarring loss. You know, it, does, it almost doesn't even matter at that point um, that it's the Western Conference Finals when you lose to an inferior team in that embarrassing of a fashion. Um, and obviously this season, they recognize that, you know, things weren't going well this season. I think when they acquired Durant, they were, you know, roughly, you know, around the sixth or like the eighth seed or something like that at that time. Um, and so I think, again, credit to their front office for, for realizing that, you know, this team is currently constructed before the trade deadline, wasn't going to get it done. And so, you know, they acquire Kevin Durant. Now, initially you would think like, okay, they obviously traded a bunch of first-round picks and they traded away some relatively young guys in Bridges and Johnson. Um, And so you'd think that they shortened their window. I don't necessarily know if that's true. Um, I'm a big Kevin Durant guy and he's under contract for like four more seasons. So, you know, I think he's going to age well. I think he still has a lot of years left of being an elite NBA player. The issue is just how many games are you going to be getting him for that season? Um, And is his health going to align with all the other factors that it takes to, to being a good team? You know, really, the concern comes down to Chris Paul because, again, as I just said, I think if Durant's healthy, he's going to be fine for the next couple of seasons. Um, you know, Booker's up after next season, I think, but they'll have you know they'll be able to go over the cap to sign him. He's made an All NBA team, and, and he probably will again this season, um, so they shouldn't have any problem giving him a Supermax, to my knowledge. Um, and but basically, you know, they they worked out the Aiton thing last off season, and and I think that's kind of like their core right there between you know Booker, Aiton, and Durant. The issue is that you have Chris Paul. Now, they're going to have him under contract, but, you know, he's, what, 37 right now? 36 or 37, and, you know, he looks it. Again, his health is up and down. His, you know, playoff shortcomings are really well documented. I just, you really can't trust that you're going to get another season. Like, and again, he's obviously took a step back this season. I think he's just going to continue to take steps back. Um, I really like, you know, Phoenix is currently constructed, but I just don't know how you expect to, to get back to this point when, you know, Chris Paul is still one of your three or four most important players, you know, hopefully having Durant, you know, lightens the burden for him offensively even more, but they are definitely going to need to address the point guard position and, and get him maybe a better backup than campaign in the offseason, regardless of what happens. Um, but again, I mean, they, they pushed all their chips into the middle of the table. Again, this is self induced pressure. I think they made the right move for trading for Kevin Durant. But You know, even though that this is, you know, you could be like, oh, well, this is the first year we have Durant and, you know, we haven't played that many games together as a team. When you make a move like that and you mortgage that many picks, you have to take advantage of the fact that even though you're a little bit banged up, you know, most of the Western Conference is really banged up too. Um, And so for Phoenix, I think their bottom line, like I said before... um, you, be, you need to make the Western Conference Finals or the season is a bust. I think it comes down to that. If you lose to Denver, you know, maybe that's all right. But, um, you know, if you get Kevin Durant back for the playoffs, you better at least make it to the Western Conference Finals. Moving on to my number two team, the second most pressure in the entire NBA heading into the playoffs. This was really close. My top two teams uh, are, were really close. And so I ultimately landed on the Philadelphia 76ers in the number two spot. Um, Philly, I would argue, has the longest, you know, recent um, record of, of playoff shortcomings that are, are really bad and embarrassing, I, I would argue. Um, again, I think it's important to look back on, on what these teams have done in recent years to kind of see how this, this pressure is mounting. Like, I'm just going to kind of start off this recent history at the 17-18 season, but you have to keep in mind that there was like, you know, a solid five to six years of tanking before that, where, you know, again, that was the process. That was, you know, the process that acquired them Joel Embiid and the process that got them Ben Simmons and, you know, Markel Fultz and Joel er, and uh, Julia Okafor, like all those other like lottery picks that they had. And, you know, they hit on half of them and whatever, like, you know, there was a lot of of grinding to get to them to the point where they're, they're even semi-competitive, but They've really never made it far in the playoffs, and a lot of people know that, but, you know, it, it only stacks. It only builds, and so, you know, in 17-18, um, you know, they, that was kind of, I want to say, the first full season that Ben Simmons played. They lost in the second round of the Celtics. Um, the following season, um, they actually made it on to round two in the Eastern playoffs, uh, and that's the farthest that they've made it. That's the farthest they've made it with this team is currently constructed Um, And they lost in the second round to the Raptors. Now, that was an incredible series. That was a series that went seven games. That was the Raptors championship season. And, of course, that was the Kawhi Leonard game seven buzzer beater shot um, to send them on to the next round. So um, truly a heartbreaking loss. I mean, it's certainly a series that could have gone either way. But, you know, it didn't the ball didn't bounce their way. And I, you know, I think Toronto was was probably the better team. Um, So I think that makes sense. Uh, moving on to the bubble season, that was a total disaster year. That was, you know, the previous off season they made the horrible decision to sign Al Horford, who I love dearly, but good God, that was a horrible basketball fit outside of Joel, like next to Joel Embiid. Rather, um, you know, that was when Elton Brand was still in charge of the front office. So, uh, feels kind of like a lifetime ago. But anyway, in that 2020 bubble season, they got swept by the Celtics. Uh, ben Simmons was hurt. It was kind of a wash of a season. Uh, in 2021. This was far and away the worst playoff shortcomings. That was, um, you know, they were the number one seed that season. Uh, You know, Ben Simmons probably had the best, definitely had the best regular season of his career, I would argue. Uh, And they ended up losing to the Hawks in the second round. And so... Uh, this was not your average loss in the second round because, again, they were the one seed. They lost to the Hawks, who were the five seed. And this was like the Ben Simmons meltdown season. They ended up, or series rather, they ended up losing in seven games. Ben Simmons did the famous, you know, he passed up a dunk. And in, in what I would imagine looking back was probably that game seven um, when only Trey Young was like relatively in the vicinity, seven foot tall. Ben Simmons just passed up an open dunk. It was really embarrassing. Um, and that basically led to him sitting out the entire next season. And so, that was horrible, that Atlanta series, you know, as much as it was talked about, I don't think it gets talked about enough. Like, there's no business, Philly had no business losing to that Hawks team as they were, you know, currently constructed. So... Uh, That was really, really bad. And then last season, you know, last season, they, you know, finally ended the Ben Simmons saga at the trade deadline by moving him to Brooklyn and acquiring James Harden, which was a fantastic deal. um, That's aged really well for Philly, obviously. Um, But however, when they acquired Harden last season, you know, his start to the Philly tenure was pretty rocky. He was out of shape because he had basically quit on his second team in like 12 months. Uh, And so, you know, the start uh, the, the initial period of, of having Harden and Philly certainly wasn't great. And so they ended up losing to Miami in round two. Again, if we how how quickly we forget that Miami was a one seed last season, so you know, Miami had home court. But you know, most importantly, you know, Harden wasn't playing great and Embiid got banged up. I want to say he like broke his nose or something like that. That's when he was playing or at least he broke a bone in his face and was playing with a mask and I think he had a lower body injury too. So he was really banged up last season and people kind of gave him a pass. And so, you know, again, looking back on that, you know, that run right there, the only, you know, really unforgiving loss that they have is the 2021 loss to Atlanta. Uh, but again, it's like there's always something as, as this is kind of the theme of this episode is that injuries happen and, uh, you know, the ball bounces a certain way and whatever. And, and it results in a series loss. But, you know, the great teams find a way to overcome that. And Philly is, is not a great team um, or, or they, they haven't been a great t- proven to be a great team in the past five years or so. Uh, But here we are today, right? Like they had the two seed a couple weeks ago. Now they're back, or or I want to say like about a week ago, they were the two seed in the East and now Boston has passed them again. Um, And now they are at the three seed in the East. But you look at this Philly team and and this is about as good of a chances as as they've had in the past five years, I would argue. Like they were obviously really good that Jimmy Butler season, but you know, right now Joel Embiid is on the cusp of, of maybe finally getting that NBA MVP. We'll see which way that goes. Um, you know they have the highest winning percentage in the NBA since December first, which is pretty incredible. I, I didn't even realize that to be the case. So um, they've been on fire. This you know basically the, the last two thirds of the season, they've been arguably the best team in basketball. And you know they're pretty healthy. They're pretty healthy right now. You're not gonna. You're you'll never get a better Embiid season than this. I I, I think at, at best you can you know probably plateau at this level. But if Philly wants to avoid disaster, they need to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, yes, I do not think that they're going to get there. I do not think they're going to beat a Boston or a Milwaukee, either one of those teams to get to there. But if they want to avoid the pressure volcano um, that is that they're going to suffer if they fall short of their goals, like they they need to make it to an Eastern Conference Finals. Like, you know, you could say that um, you know, playoff success is important. and It's something that gets taken into account when you look at these MVPs. Well, Embiid virtually has none of it. And I think that this, it needs to be Philly's year. I don't think it's going to be, but I think it needs to be. And, and you know, they're in a tough situation. And that's why I put them that high on the list. That's why they are my second team. Uh, moving on to my final team, the team that I would say has the most pressure on it to perform uh, in this late regular season and 2023 NBA playoffs is the Denver Nuggets. Now I've been on the record on this podcast of, of basically being a Denver believer. You know, I really appreciate what Jokic has done. Of course, you know, who hasn't, you might win three consecutive MVPs. Uh, but I really like the surrounding pieces on this team. I think, you know, despite their moves at the trade deadline, not exactly paying dividends yet, I think it, you know, there's still time for that to take place, um, before the end of the season here, but You know denver's had some success you know honestly they had more playoff success than i i kind of thought you know just looking back at their recent history you know they kind of jumped on the scene in the 2018-19 season um, where they lost, you know, in round two of the playoffs to Portland, um, that was a kind of a crazy seven game, a, a really crazy seven game series against Portland. Um, where actually, again, it went seven games, and one of the games that Denver lost was a quadruple overtime loss, which is, is pretty nuts. Uh, again, people, you know, who really cares about that series? Like they were just, you know, fighting to just lose and get killed. Like whoever won that series was going to get killed by Golden State, and eventually Portland did. Um, and it wouldn't have been any different if Denver made it. But I thought it was crazy how close they got to be making a Western Conference finals that far back. Um, in the bubble, uh, the 2020 season they actually did make it to the Western Conference Finals. They got crushed by a much better Laker team, but they did make the most out of the bubble experience. you know that's where we certainly saw Jamal Murray hit his you know peak if you will, the peak of his young career. Um, where he was consistently playing his best basketball. Um, The following season, uh, which was two years ago, the 2021 season, uh, they were swept by Phoenix in round two. Um, Jamal Murray got hurt, I want to say, in that series, or maybe the series before. Um, That's when he tore his ACL. Um, And so it was really no surprise that they lost to Phoenix. They were probably going to lose to Phoenix anyway. And then last year, I feel like they caught a lot of slack. Maybe it was just because, again, Jokic had just won his second MVP, but... They ended up losing in round two to Golden State last year, which, you know, again, in the moment, they took a lot of slack. But looking back, it's like, yeah, no shit. They lost to the best team in basketball and they were missing, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, their, you know, uh, third and second best players, respectively. Um, So it is pretty interesting that, you know, they took some slack for that. But the reason why I feel like there's so much pressure on Denver is, you know, really – the career that Jokic is building for himself, like the fact that whether he gets the third MVP in a row or not, you know, it doesn't really matter. There's already so much pressure on that team. You know, if he does get that MVP, he'll, he'll be joining uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell and Larry Bird as the only other three players in NBA history to win three consecutive MVPs, which, you know, as you would expect, is, is insanely impressive. But I just feel like the stars are aligning for them. You know, if you zoom out and you look at the Western Conference, you know, moving forward, you know, I think a team like Golden State is going to be back in the mix next year. I think Phoenix, you know, again, assuming they're healthy, um, is still going to have at least one more year of being really competitive, regardless of what happens with Chris Paul, because I think Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker are that good. Um, you know, I think a team, you know, like the Clippers, like they could have a chance at next year. I think the Lakers are much better constructed if they, you know, go into, into next year with the roster that they currently have instead of the roster that they had to start the season. Like, I think I could see a lot of growth for a lot of teams in the Western conference is what I'm trying to say, really, except for Denver. I think they could be just as good as what they are right now, but the stars are aligning for them again, right now, like they are the healthiest team in the Western conference Uh, Out of the teams that I think could actually win the whole thing, like again, I know that you know Jamal Murray and and Michael Porter Jr. are still kind of up and down, but you've had those guys all season. You really can't make the injury excuse anymore. Like it's a long season, and you know you've had them for eighty games now. You you have to you you know nearly an eighty games now. Um, You know that being said, like I think for the Denver Nuggets, they need to make it to the finals. I think that this is the year where they need to capitalize. At the very least, you know, maybe if they make it to the Western Conference Finals and lose to Phoenix, that'll be enough for people. But, you know, Jokic is putting a target on his back by being so damn good and winning so many MVPs that they are facing a maximum amount of pressure. And I think if you're the Denver Nuggets, you need to look yourself in the mirror and be like, this is our opportunity. That's ultimately why I ended up settling on them you know, facing more pressure than, than Philly is because in my heart, I do not believe that Philly can win a title. I do believe that Denver can. Uh, I think it's unlikely. I still think, you know, the title is is going to come from the Eastern conference. It's going to be Milwaukee or Boston, but uh, I do think that Denver needs to make it out of the Western conference to, you know, reach their goals this season and to avoid, you know, a shitload of, of negative media attention, a shitload of, of turmoil. And it's just going to be a really long off season for Denver if they do not make it to the NBA finals. So uh, with that, let me just zoom out and kind of go through my list again, you know, again, just to to focus on some teams that, you know, non-contending teams that have a lot of pressure heading into the end of the regular season. I had the Timberwolves and the Raptors. My number 16 slash honorable mention was the Grizzlies. Uh, number five, I had the Clippers, who, again, kind of caught a break because Paul George is hurt again, but what else is new? Uh, number four, I have Boston. Uh, number three, I have Phoenix. Number two is Philly and the team with the most pressure, Heading into the playoffs is the Denver Nuggets. Um, I think with that, again, this is kind of a, a unique idea. Maybe I'll pa- you know, i probably bum myself out if I, like, Google this shit, like Google, like, NBA pressure pyramid at the end of this, and I'll find out that, like, there's, like, you know 15 pods just like this that already done it, and I'll be bummed. But whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume right now that ignorance is bliss, and I thought of this idea on my own, and hopefully it, it's a pretty cool concept that you guys enjoy. Maybe I'll get in my... Graphic design bag. Um, after this episode is posted in a couple days, and, and I can make a graphic of this pressure pyramid um, and share it to get those uh, much needed social engagement clicks. We we love those clicks, um, and we also love reviews. We love sharing the show. Uh, be sure to like, follow the show everywhere at Words with Wallace, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, be sure to again like the show, follow the show, share the show, tell a friend. Uh, and we will be coming at you next week. Again, next week, um, it'll be, you know, we're essentially exactly two weeks away from the end of the season like I was talking about. So I'm not exactly sure what I'll do next week. I'm sure there'll be some other storylines for me to touch on. I don't think I'll get into the award stuff yet um, or I don't think I'll get into playoff matchups yet since that'll still be up in the air. So we'll see. A little TBD on next week's episode. Maybe we can be flexible with that. If you guys have any ideas for that, uh, let me know. But with that, I'm going to hit this button and get up out of here Uh, you, You guys have a great rest of your week, and I will talk to you later.